0: Well, good to see you here this evening. Appreciate you all coming. Open your Bibles up, if you would, to John chapter 5. Want to continue looking with you this uh, evening at uh, the events that took place during Jesus' uh, second visit to the temple in the Gospel that John wrote. I want to read our passage this evening and let's open up in prayer. Appreciate you guys being here, driving. Appreciate uh, everyone being here this evening and taking time out of your schedule for appointment with the Lord. We'll look at this evening, John chapter 5, verses 37 and 38. And this is how it reads. It says, And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you. For you do not believe the one He sent. Father, we love You this uh, evening. Father, there's a great desire uh, that this service tonight might not just be another run-of-the-mill revival service. There was some understanding of Your people as it is displayed in the scriptures, that when your word was being proclaimed, that when the scriptures were parted and read, something marvelous and miraculous was taking place. You were were speaking. I, I wonder what would happen, and Father, we believe that there's no difference than this, but wonder what would happen if we would come to the Realization that you are actually here speaking. That we we could see you up here. That the peripherals of the uh, of the service, the stuff that really didn't matter, would fall away like the speaker. And it was you speaking to us. I wonder if we would respond. I wonder if we'd take more seriously the kind of situation we find ourselves in this evening. Uh, We come this evening before you to hear your word, to hear you speak to us. And Father, we believe that in this time that the speaking goes further than the mouth of an evangelist, that somehow you, through your Holy Spirit, are communicating in a way that I could never communicate. We desire that level of communication with you tonight, and when you speak, we will respond. And Father, we ask these things in the name of your Son, Christ Jesus. Amen really want to kind of bring us into the setting uh, of what's been taking place here in, in, in John chapter 5. Jesus uh, comes into the temple in John chapter 5 for the second time. Okay? Uh, the first time was back in John chapter 2, and it was the Passover uh, time. Passover feast, which they did once a year, celebration in which they showed up to Jerusalem, and they celebrated the Passover, which of course was the exodus uh, out of Egypt. Uh, and, and they were commanded by God to celebrate that every year, and so that's what they did every single year. In fact, there were three main feasts that they were commanded by God to celebrate. The Passover, the Feast of Tabernacles, and Pentecost. Okay? Three main feasts that if you were a Jewish male, and you weren't living out of the country, okay, and it was possible for you to make it to Jerusalem, you had to come and celebrate these feasts. So in John chapter 5, it tells us that this was another one of the feasts of the Jews. Is that in John chapter 5, verse 1. Uh, So this feast comes along. We're not really sure which one it is. It's one of these three. And so Jesus is back in Jerusalem uh, fulfilling the requirements of the law that God had set before the people of Israel. And he's back there uh, uh, at one of these feasts. Now, when he comes into the, the temple... He finds himself over by this Sheepgate area, and there's this pool right inside the Sheepgate area. got a man there,'s been there for 38 years. There's tons of people around there. Uh, and then there's a portion of those people are the disabled, the blind, the lame, the wretched, the outcast, that uh, they're kind of the degenerates of society. And they're over here by this pool in hopes uh, of the tradition of this pool touching their life. And the tradition was that they would be healed. So they've come here at this pool for that kind of uh, reason. Now, Jesus singles out one. The man has been there for 38 years, and he heals him. Okay. Now, immediately after the healing, as you begin to go down through the story, uh, this man runs into the leadership of Israel and uh, they're really concerned about why he's carrying his mat on the Sabbath. They, uh, they had to have known who this guy was. They'd seen him in the temple before. I mean, who would be in the temple for 38 years, and you would not know who they were. So he, he, they had seen this guy before. I mean, he, he's running across the temple for, floor. He's carrying his mat. His beard is, you know, his hair, his smell, all that kind of stuff is a picture of a guy who's lived there. And uh, the only thing they can come up with is, why are you carrying your mat? They don't address the fact that he's been healed. They don't inquire as to what happened to you. Uh, but see, they're really not concerned about the movement of God. See, see we've got to hear that. See, what's most what's most at stake in these kind of services? See, it is the movement of God. Why do we come? See, why are we here? Why do we sing? See, why are we singing, Jesus, I love you? You know? Is it, are you singing to it? See, all of this changes perspective when, you, when it's about Jesus, when it's centered on him. And that, that's the motivation behind all that we do in terms of church. Radically changes everything. Of course, they weren't into him. They were into their rules and their traditions and their law and that kind of thing. And so they jump all over this guy and uh, put him into bondage by the end of the passage, which is another study for us. And they're trying to track down, and of course they ask the guy, why are you carrying your mat? He says, hey, the man who healed me told me to do so. They're still not concerned with his healing. They're wanting to find this guy who did it. And so at the end of the story, they find out that it was Jesus, and uh, because the man finds out that it's Jesus, and he sells him out to the leadership of Israel. And then you come into verse 16. Now, verse 16 is where they begin to persecute Jesus. That's the the words of the the, the verse, verse 16. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. And that's the same word persecution that's used for, for, um, for Paul in the book of Acts when he's breathing out murderous threats against the early church and the stoning of Stephen and all the horrible things that are taking place. See, that's the word. It was not like they were just kind of upset with Jesus. They were persecuting him aggressively, breathing murderous threats. And so you have this conversation that develops. And by the time you get down to verse 18, they're trying to kill him. And what's taking place is, is there is this formal trial that begins to take place. Okay, it's this formal setting. Um, they're going to kill him, which in, in that kind of a persecution from the leadership of Israel, you had to have witnesses. And so Jesus testifies on his own behalf in verses 16 through 30. And then at the end of the, ch- uh, the chapter, verses 31 through verse 47, he calls other witnesses to support him. And what Jesus has been saying in his testimony, verses 16 through 30, is exactly what the other witnesses say, verses 31 through 47. So Jesus says, listen, why am I doing this thing? Here. This is, this is my testimony. This is why I did what I did in, uh, in the temple, the first 15 verses. And then he calls witnesses who say the same thing that Jesus said. Why Jesus is doing this is this. And they give their testimony, verses 31 uh, through uh, 47. Make sense? So that's kind of the chapter. Now in Jesus, his testimony... He highlights a few things, which is, see, he's not rule-centered, he's not tradition-centered. See, when they ask him, why in the world did you do that? He doesn't say, well, bless the Lord, we've always done it that way, <laughs> okay? It's not that kind of thing, okay? You know, wh- why did you sing that hymn? Well, we always sing those kind of hymns. See, that was not the motivation. See, why did you take the offering, that place, in the service? Well, bless the Lord, we always take the offering. And and, and why did you, uh, you know, why did you have it here? Why did you do that? And, and see, well, why did you put the pulpit there, and see... It was not traditions and rules. Those are not the things that he was begging on. See, the things, the whole motivation of why he does what he does, it's because of what the Father does. In other words, why he does what he does is because it's what the Father does. And the same things that are going on inside of the Father are the same things going on inside of Jesus. And Jesus cannot help but to be the way that he is because he's a spitting image of his Father. Which is powerful, you understand. And they come and say, why in the world are you doing what you're doing? And he says, I can't help myself. Because the same kind of things that the father's into are the same kind of things that I'm into, and I cannot help but to be the way that I am. And that's his testimony, okay? And there's an intimate relationship with God that is defined there. Now, when you call the, test, when you call the witnesses, in verses 31 through the end of the chapter, they begin to talk about the same kind of things that Jesus talks about. And this is really important. Jesus calls these witnesses for us. Now, in a, in a normal setting, in a normal trial setting, you have, um, you have all of the participants coming and all of the, you know, the, the the prosecutor and the defense and all that stuff is laid out. And then you have the trial begin and you call witnesses and then they come and testify. But all of the witnesses, this is kind of neat, all the witnesses that are mentioned in verses 31 through 47 are all witnesses that are in the past. No one testifies at this point. All the witnesses have already testified. Okay. And in the case that he's building is, is listen, you guys, you shouldn't be surprised at this because all of these people have been saying the same things that I've been saying. This should not be new news to you. This is old news. And the first witness that he calls in verses 31 through 36 is John the Baptist, who's one of their own number. See, he's a Levite. He's, a, he's the son of Zechariah and Elizabeth, who was a priest. And they know who he is. They've been out, and, and you go back into John chapter 1, they've sent delegates out and scribes and Pharisees, they've all come out there and interviewed him. So they, And the same thing that Jesus is talking about is the same thing that John the Baptist is talking about. And then, of course, he calls his works, which are all in the past. He talks about the father's testimony, which is what we're going to look at tonight. That's in the past. He talks about the scriptures, what they had before him. Of course, those were written in the past. He talks about Moses, which was really in the past. So all of these testimonies are in the past. So you have this court scene where Jesus testifies. And then instead of calling witnesses, he says, listen, I'm kind of like the tail end of this thing. if you aren't getting it now, (laughs) it's bad news because, see, this has been talked about the entire time. This was the plan of God for the beginning, which really scares me when I come to churches and I hear people say, I've never heard that before. I think, wow, so you have slept for how many years in church? <laughs> so you've never read your Bible. How in the world could you get in this book and not come up with that? Because this is what's been talked about from the very beginning. And this is what he says. Now, what I want to look with you tonight at is uh, the Father's testimony, which is in verses 37 through 38. And really what it talks about, it points back to the scripture, which is the record of God's testimony. In fact, it is God's testimony. What would you do if I told you that somehow when you open up the pages of this book, and I hope this radically transforms the way you look at the scriptures, But when you open up this book and you begin to get into the pages of this book, you are literally handling God's testimony, His spoken testimony to us. In fact, when you open up the pages of this book, and you begin to read it, it's like Jesus, and again, you have to put this in the confines, in the parameters of the way Jesus has been talking about a Christian lives, is that Christianity is not ritualistic, it's not rules-driven, it's intimate personal relationship, walking and talking, and therefore, when you open up the pages of this book, when you get into the scriptures, he is present with you, and as you read, he is speaking into your ear, revealing, and it's a conversation that you're having with him. This is the way that he talks about this, and I want to talk to you about that tonight want to begin looking with you at uh, verse uh, 37. This is how he begins talking about this. He says, And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. Now, again, we talk a lot about the Greek language because that's the language in which uh, uh, this book was written. It was uh, the Greek culture was all over this and the culture in Jesus' day was all over into the language of the day and it comes through uh, even in our English text. Now, in English... If we want to emphasize something, we put exclamation points behind uh, sentences when you write something. When my, my wife leaves me a note in the morning and she says, be quiet when you get up because <laughs> I'm loud. Okay? There's usually not just one exclamation point, but there's two, three, four, five. They're all ri- it's, she, she writes that way in order to add emphasis to tell me. Okay? Now, but you understand in the, in the Greek language, they didn't have punctuation. They didn't have periods. They didn't have commas. They didn't have exclamation points. They just had one long... In fact, they didn't even have quotation marks. They just had one long just word after word. There was no spaces. It was just together, together, together the whole time. It's a whole different way to communicate in terms of language. But when they wanted to emphasize something, they would often say things twice. So if we were going to write this statement, we might say, and the Father has testified concerning Jesus, exclamation point. I mean, just adding emphasis. But since they don't have exclamation points, they they want to emphasize it, and it's called being emphatic. They write it twice. So they don't say the Father. They say the Father himself has testified concerning me. So it adds emphasis on the statement. And this is kind of neat because when you go through the scriptures and they want to emphasize the holiness of God, they repeat it. So God's not just holy. To emphasize it, God's not just holy, holy. God is... Three, he's really holy. Okay? He's not just holy. He's like holy. He's big time holy. You want to talk about it that way. Okay? He's really, really holy. So they say that for emphasis point. So Jesus is being very strong in his language here. He's not just saying, yeah, dad's talked about me. He says, listen, the father himself... There was not a delegate in this kind of thing. God himself has testified concerning me. Okay? God has been talking about this. And not only that God has been talking about this, but this is in the past. Okay? Uh, the Father himself is past tense. The Father has testified. Okay? It's in the past. And then what's really interesting is when you go back into the Old Testament, you have the record of this testimony. Okay? The Father himself has testified concerning me. In other words, hey, all that I've been saying all the intimate relationship and the tightness that I'm sharing with God, this new covenant that God is bringing about, you should not be surprised at this because God talked about this before I ever even came. In fact, there were all kinds of things we knew about Jesus before he was ever even born. If you were to go back, and we won't turn there, but if you were going to, uh, to go into the book of Matthew and you were to look at the first four chapters, the first four chapters, all they are is a fulfillment of prophecy as Matthew un- uh, uh, unfolds them. He says, this happened to confirm what was written by the prophets. And then, of course, Jesus uh, was, uh, Mary con- was conceived with Jesus. And then, of course, that fulfilled the, the prophets. And, of course, Herod kills all the babies. And that, was ful- that fulfilled the prophets. And you have all of this, that God talked about this before it was ever going to take place. So, he, in fact, uh, scholars tell us that there were 333 prophecies concerning Jesus before he ever came. So, God had been screaming this. To his people. Hey, I'm going to send a prophet among you who's going to be just like me. And he's going to be the demonstration. He's going to be the fulfillment of all that I talked about. Okay? So God had been talking about this. Now the way he talked about this was through prophets. Um, and you know what the deal was about prophets. Okay? It's all kinds of prophets in the Old Testament. Uh, Ezekiel was a prophet. Um, Isaiah was a prophet. Jeremiah was a prophet. And you always listen to the prophet Jeremiah. And uh, Amos, uh, Hosea, all these guys were prophets. And um, we did a study on prophets not too long ago. And a prophet was understood by the name that was given, the prophet. Not just their own name, like Jeremiah, the name he had, although that's true. But a prophet was understood by the word prophet. They were, their identity was, was understood by that term prophet. Okay? And a prophet had two different meanings to it. Okay, when you called someone a prophet, they had two aspects to them. There was a before aspect and a for aspect. It comes from the root word of the word prophet, which is pro. Okay? So there was a before aspect and a for aspect. The before aspect kind of easy to talk about. Prophets talked about things before they took place. Prophets came along. You had, uh, for instance, you had Daniel and uh, you had Jeremiah and you had Ezekiel coming before the people of Israel and said, hey, Babylon's coming. And they didn't say Babylon per se, but they said, hey, God's going to rise up a nation. He's going to come in and exile you. And they're like, get out of here. You're kidding. You're kidding around. No, I don't believe it. No, 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 it's not true. And then a few years later, in 586, the temple was destroyed and happened three times, had three different exiles. But finally, they came in and destroyed the temple and hauled everyone off. And they said, whoa, the guy must have been a prophet. Why? Because he talked about things before they took place. Okay, And God had told them they were do, that he was going to do that back in the book of De- Deuteronomy. So a prophet had a before aspect to him. Talked about things before they took place. But the most significant aspect of a prophet was this for aspect. The for aspect was, now get this, is that a prophet spoke for God. Okay? A prophet spoke for God. See, when a prophet came, a prophet didn't come and speak his own stuff. Didn't speak his own mind, didn't have his own words, didn't have his own intellect, didn't have that kind of stuff. A prophet came and when he stood before the people, he said, thus saith the Lord, and he spoke the words that God had given him to say. You have the prophet Jeremiah, which I really, I really like this and was very helpful to me when I was called to the ministry because I felt so inadequate, so young, all that kind of stuff. And Jeremiah, the prophet said the same thing. You know, God says, hey, I'm sending you out. And he said, oh. I'm only a kid. You know. I'm not old enough for this. And he says, Hey, don't say you're too young. You must go everywhere I send you, and I'm going to take my word and stick it in your mouth, and you're going to go tell them. In fact, one of the prophets, I think it was Ezekiel, can't really remember which one, but he writes his word down on a scroll, rolls that puppy up, and says, Eat it. <laughs> you know? And Ezekiel eats it. And it tastes like honey on his lips. When he eats it, was it due to his stomach? sours it, because it wasn't a very good message. It wasn't the kind of thing you like to preach. But um, he went and he proclaimed it. And the idea was, is that when a prophet came into your presence and he began to speak, it wasn't his words, it was literally the word of God. Now, Peter, just to give you a kind of a reference to this, and you'll get a kick out of this. Peter talks about this uh, in his letter. Check this out. Uh, He starts off, and it's kind of a long section about the prophecy of Scripture, but he says we didn't follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about uh, the power and coming of our Lord Jesus. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Um, and we have the word of the prophets, meaning that God talked about this before Jesus ever came. We have the word of the prophets made more certain and you, do, uh, you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Listen to this. Above all, You must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So when you come, and that's from Peter's own lips. So the idea was, is that when a prophet came, he didn't come and, and God told him some things and he thought on it and added a little bit to it and that kind of thing. That a prophet came and when he opened his mouth and spoke, it was not his words, but it was the very word of God. Okay? So when you're coming into our passage and you're hearing uh, uh, Jesus say, the Father himself has testified, what he's referring to is him talking to the Old Testament, okay? the Old Testament Israel the Old Covenant Israel recorded in the Old Testament, he's referring to God coming to the people in the Old Covenant, the people of Israel, and talking about Jesus before he ever got there. So this is an old testimony. Now, here's the neatest part, okay? Oh, well, first of all, I wanted to give you a couple examples of this. You understand, I, I got a kick out of this. When the New Testament writers, you understand the New Testament writers didn't have a New Testament. That makes sense? Okay. So when they're talking about the gospel and preaching the gospel, preach from the word, do you know what word they're talking about? Old Testament. So you understand the Old Testament is the record of the gospel just as the New Testament is the record of the gospel. And you can go into the Old Testament and see I found teens say the Old Testament, well it's old. We don't it's old, it's outdated. We're into the new stuff. No, 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 you understand. The Old Testament was the only scripture that they had. So when they're talking about preaching the gospel from the Scripture, they're talking about from the Old Testament. So the Old Testament talked about Jesus and the good news of what we've been talking about this week, the intimate personal tightness that we have with God, the kind of relationship that He's always wanted. We get that from the Old Testament. Listen to this. Jeremiah chapter thirty-one. The time is coming. He's got this probably antsiness about him. He's just so so excited he can't hardly wait. It says, a time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with the forefathers when I took them out of Egypt uh, and led them, uh, when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt because they broke that covenant, though I was a husband to them. No, there is a covenant I will make with the house of Israel at that time, and I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. See, it's not an outside thing. God's going to come into the inside of your body and do such a revolutionary, radical transformation. You're going to think different. You're going to be different. I'm going to put my law in your minds and write it on your hearts. I will be your God and you will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother, saying, "Know the Lord," because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. So, in other words, see, we're not to go to our neighbor and say, "Know the Lord," and then teach them about it. We can just go up to them and say, "Listen, you know him because you've been living next to me for like what ten years. You saw me mowing the lawn, right? You saw me the way I'd act with my kids, right? You saw me when I was outside disciplining my child. Hey, you saw me when we got that this over there, that problem over here, and we." See, we're not going to say know the Lord because they're going to know Him by our very actions because there's such a transformation. Isn't that powerful? That's Old Testament stuff. Uh, I not only gave you that one this week, but I also talked to you out of, uh, and I'm going to read it again, uh, the book of Ezekiel, chapter 36, which is part of a larger passage, which I won't put you through that. But it all boils down to verse 27. And he says, uh, chapter 36, he says, I will put my spirit in you and cause you. See, that's where the, the idea that I cannot help myself Christianity comes from. I will put my spirit in you and cause you to follow my decrees. And See, I need that. See, I need that because I'm so undisciplined. I need the kind of Christianity where I wake up in the morning and I just go, oh, man. I just fly out and love my neighbor. That's it. I need the kind of of relationship with God where he just hounds me, stalks me, stalker Jesus, just chases me around, doesn't let me go, moves on the inside, changes me, and there's a hunger inside that I can't help but to be the way that I am. See, that's a new covenant type of stuff. That's the language, and it all comes from the Old Testament. So when Jesus is talking about this, he says, listen, the Father himself has testified concerning me. You shouldn't be surprised at this because he's been talking about this from the very beginning. And I know that you've never heard his testimony in our passage. He says, for you do not believe the one he sent. And I'm the first one like that. And you're seeing it and you don't believe, which tells me you never heard his testimony. Okay? So the father's been testifying about this. Now, here's the, here's the interesting thing. He says, the father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. That's all past. Okay? God had been talking about this through an entire Old Testament time period. All the prophets had been screaming this. Moses wrote about this. See, the Old Testament just screamed this message to the people of Israel. Hey, this is the, this is the whole deal that's going on. This is the kind of relationship I want with you. It's all passed. Okay, In fact, it's evident, if you read it, but scholars will help you with this, that this, this prophesy, this testimony of God took place all throughout the Old Testament and then God stopped speaking about 400 years prior to Christ's birth. There was a 400-year time period where God never spoke. Okay? You had some books being assembled still, like Daniel and I think Zechariah. You had some books that were still being assembled. But you see, God stopped speaking 400 years prior to Christ's birth. So there had been a 400-year time period where God was silent. It's kind of like the calm before the storm. Ended, okay? So God had been prophesying the entire Old Testament. Then there was 400 years there was no speaking. And this, so this is all past. But now listen to this. When Jesus sa- says this to them, he says this about talks about this testimony that happened in the past. But it's like they should have heard it. In fact, this is what, they, this is what he says. The father himself has testified concerning me, but you've never heard his voice nor have you seen his form because you don't believe the one he sent. As if you should have heard his voice and you should have seen his form, okay? Now listen, I'm not too intelligent. But if God testified 400 years ago and I'm 31, there's no way that I could possibly have heard that. Pharisees probably were not 400 years old. What do you think? Probably not 400 years old. So how in the world, how in the world could Jesus look at them and say, you should have heard his voice? And that's very strong language. The word for voice is the word "phone," which is an audible sound. You should have heard him. You should have heard his voice. You've never heard his voice. And I know this because you don't believe in me as if they should have heard his voice. You get what I'm saying there? Which is really interesting, which leads you to the point. But you understand that Jesus is talking about. See, this right here is the record of that speaking. This right here, when you open up the scriptures, especially in the Old Testament, which is kind of our, uh, our focus for tonight, the, God, the Father's testimony, that somehow when you read this, this is not, see, this is not just dead words on a page. That this is the written down record of God speaking that is his word. It's not just some book. That somehow when you get into the pages of this book, it's as if he is speaking. And But you understand, we have a whole different perspective on the Bible. Are you with me? We have a whole different perspective on the Bible than they did. Uh, for instance, I, I don't know if you realize this, but Jesus was absolutely committed and under the authority of the Scripture. Okay? Um, you have your Bibles open. We're in John 5, about six pages back. In John chapter 24, this becomes very, very clear to us. You have the whole Emmaus road scene that's, uh, that's uh, taken place. And uh, two disciples and, and they're walking along and they're, they're having this conversation. And, and guess who pops up in the middle of that conversation? They don't recognize him, but guess who pops up? Jesus, he pops up. And uh, he begins to talk with them. Of course, uh, he's, he's concerned about what they've been talking about. And they said, listen, are you from out of town or something? He's back on vacation. Where you been? You haven't heard of what took place in Jerusalem? And he begins to enlighten them. And, of course, um, he reveals that it's him. Uh, And listen to what he says in verse 44 of chapter 24 of Luke. He says, now get this. This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled. Everything must. Very strong language. Has to be, without a doubt, has to be fulfilled. That is written about me in the law of Moses the prophets, and the Psalms. See, all that stuff has to take place. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. And he told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You're witnesses of these things. You got to see it firsthand, is what he's telling them. This stuff had to be fulfilled that was talked about in the Old Testament. Now, you bring that mindset that Christ had, and me, you don't have to turn here with me, but you bring that mindset that Christ had and you bring that into the scriptures and listen to this. Jesus, and from John's account, Jesus is on the cross, okay? He's got that mindset. The scriptures have to be fulfilled. He's on the cross and this is what it says. The death of Jesus is the title of this section, John chapter 19. Later, Knowing that all was now complete and so that the scriptures would be fulfilled. In other words, why he's doing this is not because he's thirsty. Not because, well, it'd be nice to have a little bit of water. But so that the scriptures will be fulfilled, he said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. So the picture you have is Jesus is hanging on the cross and he's like, wow, redemption. Oh, I forgot about the wine thing. Man, almost I forget that every time. I'm really not very thirsty. But so that the scripture would be fulfilled, he said, hey, I'm thirsty. <laughs> so they grab this sponge, soak it with wine vinegar, stick it on this stick, stick it up to him. He sucks it and he goes, Oh, there we go. It's finished. And then he gives up his spirit. So from the perspective of Jesus, he couldn't even give up his own life until the scripture was fulfilled. And if Jesus viewed the scriptures that way, how do you view the the scriptures? See, if Jesus looks at this book that way, how do you look at this book? This is absolutely without question the word of God. See, um, if I come up to you and I say, listen, I'm a prophet and uh, you need to sponsor the youth conference. In fact, don't go to Trevecca this year. Just give me all the money. You would use at Trevecca, for the youth conference. I'm a prophet. It's from God. He could walk out here and go, wow, (laughs) okay. He has two conclusions he could come to. One, that is the word of God. Or two, it's not the word of God. And it could be either one when it really comes down to it. When you come to the scriptures, you never have that conclusion. You never have those two options. When you come and read John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You have no conclusion but to say, that's the word of God. Always, without exception, that's God's voice. That is the word of God to you. That is God speaking. You understand? So everything else, through a person, through a community, through a witness at the work, through, through opinions, all those kinds of things may or may not be the word of God. Hey, it may be, but you understand, you have to measure it against the scripture. Because the scripture, without question, always is the word of God. And Jesus placed himself under the authority of the scriptures. So Jesus didn't come doing his own thing and asking God to bless it. Jesus came, submitted himself to the Father and lived according to the Father's plan, which is all over the place in the Scriptures. And so Jesus came with, and you understand this is so absolutely crucial, Jesus came with a different perspective on the Scriptures than sometimes we do, uh, which really comes from his Jewish culture. And I got some quotes. Kind of been getting into quotes lately. These are quotes from Jewish... Uh, scholars and scribes and rabbi uh, rabbis, the rabbis, rabbis uh, in the Old Covenant okay Uh, here's, here's a quote this is what an Old Testament rabbi said he who has acquired the words of the law has acquired eternal life, that is the authority and the weight that they put upon the scriptures, that see they did not distinguish eternal life from the scriptures, see salvation was from this book was it from an experience? Was it from a tradition? Was it from, see, it was, this was the idea, okay? He who has acquired the words of the law has acquired life. Listen to this one. He who says that Moses wrote even one verse of the law in his own knowledge is a despiser of God. And the perspective that they have is anybody would look at this book and say, well, that's just one opi- opinion. They are a despiser of God. This is not up for debate. This is not up for opinion. See, at camp, we looked at the Titus material. And it says, anyone, to you are to live in such a way, women are to live in such a way that no one else will want the word of God. You remember? My heart is breaking. (laughs) No one will malign. Bailed me out. No one will malign the word of God which is blaspheme. It's the word where we get our word blaspheme. It's the root word there. It's the idea of treating it cheap. This is not up for opinion. You see, this is not someone's. See, this wasn't, when you come into the scriptures, it wasn't somebody that, you know, was giving some insight. You know, it wasn't John writing down, giving his spin on things. This is the word of God without question. Okay. The prophets were literally carried along by the Holy Spirit. This this was out of uh, 1 Barak 4, 1 and 2. This is the book of the commandments of God and the law that endureth forever. All they that hold it fast are appointed to life, but such as leave it shall die. So life, again, is is somehow boiled down and understood in light of the scriptures. So when you come into the scriptures, now, again, I don't know what this does to you, but when you come into the scriptures, it's not just like, this would revolutionize your devotions. If you just read some Bible stuff and give you some good advice and you know, hey, and Paul had some good things to say, it wasn't Paul. That when you come into the scriptures, you understand this is God speaking to you. Um, The Hebrews author really got into this and we studied Hebrews a couple years ago. Uh, I'll just read it to you. But all throughout the, and you can do this when you get home tonight, all the first four chapters of Hebrews, uh, he quotes Old Testament scripture. But the Old Testament scripture that he quotes, he does not allude to that it was David who wrote it or that it was this prophet or it was this person who wrote this psalm. It was always God speaking. This is what he says. Um, So he became, talking about Jesus, as much superior to the angels as the name as he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, then there's Old Testament quotations, you are my son, today I become your father. Which is actually a a quotation of Psalm 2, 7. But God spoke that, not the psalm writer spoke that. And then he goes on, he says, or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. Which was uh, 2 Samuel 7, 14. Samuel didn't say that, God said that. And you go through and he nails this over and over and over again. And every single, every single scripture that he nails, he prefaces it with always saying, God said this and then quotes that. Sometimes he says the Holy Spirit says this. And in fact, when you come down here, it says, so Jesus is not ashamed to call him brothers. He says, and then quotes, I will declare your name to my brothers in the presence of the congregation will sing your praises. Which was actually Psalm 22, 22. Jesus said that. so somehow they had this idea that when you came into the scriptures you wasn't hearing a man's opinion you were hearing the voice of God himself now here's the tragic thing you have a group of people that Jesus is dealing with in our passage who claim they know God who claim they're living to him but they've never heard his voice never heard his voice Jesus says and the father who sent me has himself testified concerning me but you've never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you. And I know this because you do not believe the one he sent. So there's three, three ways in which they're ignorant of the father's testimony. They never heard his voice, seen his form, nor does his word dwell in them. We've been looking at they've never heard his voice. So they've never heard his voice. Now here's what I struggled with. I thought, first of all, that meant like they actually never heard him Physically. Never heard him. In other words, they've never read the scriptures. They've never read. They never heard his voice. But he's not talking about uh, necessarily just a reception of, of uh, sound waves that are traveling through the air. Are you listening to me? He's not talking about sound waves traveling through the air. You've never heard his voice. In fact, they have been hearing him. They just have not been heeding him. They've not been responding. Last thing or kind of like in closing. This is what he says in chapter 8. This conversation comes up every time he comes around them. And this is what he says. (laughs) You talk about aggressive. Listen to how aggressive Jesus gets. Jesus said to them, John chapter 8 verse 42. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and now I'm here. I have not come on my own, but he sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say Now, they're hearing him physically, but they're not hearing him. You're unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? He who belongs to God Hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is you do not belong to God. I really struggle with this? Because it's going to redefine how we define Christian. This is no, no secret, and I've told you this all week. I don't believe just because you show up to church on Sunday, you're a Christian. I don't, I don't really care how much money you give, and hey, I've had people come up and give me literally... Thousands of dollars, a couple thousand dollars for, I mean, that doesn't make him Christian. I mean, hey, I'll take the money. Thank you. <laughs> Give him as much as you want, but that doesn't make you Christian. So showing up to church on Sunday, giving your money, giving your time, giving your effort, wearing the right clothes, saying the right thing, you know, carrying your Bible, doing your devotion, praying, does not make you a Christian. We're not talking about that. In fact, Jesus takes this, and people call me aggressive. It's not me. It's this book. It's this book. If you refuse, if you absolutely refuse to hear him, if you sit in this place tonight, as God is speaking, not Jeremiah Bullock, but as God himself is speaking through his scriptures, and you refuse to come under the authority of that book, you don't belong to God. And it's not like, I don't belong to God, I don't belong to the devil, i just kind of in limbo. No, you belong to Satan. You belong to the devil. If you do not come under the authority and submit according to his word, according to the scripture, you belong to Satan. And the only, other, the only other place there is, if you don't belong to Satan, is that when you recognize when the word of God is preached. See, when John preaches on Sunday morning, it's not John preaching. It's him preaching. And when you come and the word of God is spoken, you understand, you're hearing his voice. The same way in the Old Testament that they heard, is, uh, they heard God is the same way here that we hear him. Which is marvelous. Which is why, you understand, we can know him just as the disciples knew him and the disciples walked with him and we didn't walk with him. Because, hey, it's not a physical thing. That God has transcended all that kind of stuff. And when the book of God is open, when the scriptures are open, you literally hear him speak. Easy, easy study, kind of. I want to ask you tonight. Just, I guess, being as aggressive as the scriptures can be. Do you belong to Jesus? Really? I wonder if there would ever just be a a line that would be just cut so clear in a church where they said, listen, in or out. In or out. I mean, Jesus talks about it all the time. Many on that day are going to say, Lord, Lord. Talking about supposable Christians. Not talking about the world. Many are going to say, Lord, Lord. Okay, You can come to this building and not know him. We're talking about an, looking at the scriptures and saying, I want that in my life. I want to belong to you. And when you speak, I'll listen. And every time I open up this book, I'm going to realize that it's you speaking to me. It's not some opinion of some man. It's not the opinion of John Ford. It's not the opinion of Jeremiah Bullock. It's not the opinion of Bruce Puckett or Brian Schaefer or Justin Main or, or Stephen Manley or this guy or that guy. You understand, we open up the pages of this book and we begin to proclaim this book. It is God himself who's speaking to you. And you respond saying, I want to belong to you. I want to hear what you say. I want to heed what you say. I want, I want hearing to be a response in my life. Whenever you speak, I'll respond. That's the idea. Would you be willing to let that take place in your life tonight? I mean, just really get down and dirty and just say, I want to belong to you. I want all, I want, hey, I want to know what you say. I want to break this thing open and listen. It'll transform your life. Every time. Father, we love you this evening. That is a change my life kind of message. How aggressive you were, Jesus. Oh, how we have came to church on Sunday and listened to the pastor preach and have dismissed it before we even got out the door. Could it be that we're dismissing you? Could it be that we really don't belong to you whatsoever and we've never heard you speak? Because I've got a feeling that even if you in the physical stood here and preached this evening, there'd be some who'd say, eh, just an opinion. Father, may your words strike such a chord in me that whenever you speak, I respond. Don't let me not hear you. Don't let any of your words just trickle by me and me not hear you. Whenever you open your mouth, before a word comes out, let let me feel the hot air on my face. We love you tonight, Jesus. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. No song, no nothing. Are you living like that tonight? Just plain flat. Who do you belong to? I, and I hey, I, I know you and I love you. And hey, I, I, we love coming here. And I'd come here every year for the rest of my life if John would let me. But I guess I have to be as honest with you as the scripture is. Do you belong to Jesus or do you belong to the enemy? Because the scriptures will not let us hide on that. When you open up the word, do you hear his voice? Do you read the Bible in that intimate communion? The intimate tightness that Jesus had with the Father? Are you living right there? If you're not tonight, would you respond? If you just say, hey man, hey, I haven't been there. Would you respond? And you don't have to just under your breath say, no, I want to belong to Satan. No, thank you. I'd rather belong to the devil than respond to Jesus. So no pressure on that. And perhaps your devotions haven't been what they should be. Would you respond? Maybe your Bible study has not become a a conversation that you're having with Jesus himself. (laughs) Could you imagine that when you get up in the morning? And you take your Bible there to work and you lay it on your desk and it's laying open in front of you. It's like you reach down and you're getting a pencil out of your drawer and you happen to glance across the page and and you happen to see that it's uh, Matthew chapter 23 and you you look at verse 23 and woe to you teachers. Oh no, is that Jesus talking to me? That you literally have just read the voice of God as it's sitting there on your desk. Does that describe your devotion? Do you belong to him in, in that way? Are you walking that tight with him? If you're not, let's just just seek his face tonight, shall we? Let's just bow before him and say, Jesus, I want to be so tight with you that I never miss a comment you make. When you chuckle and say something under your breath, I hear it. (laughs) Nothing gets by me. There is not a syllable that escapes your lips that I don't hear. We're going to tarry for a few moments. I'm trusting you're going to respond.